Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big, and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the founder of Create Tailwind and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. Welcome to the Breakaway Wealth Podcast, where we discover wealth strategies for the unconventional and rebellious. And today with me is my good friend, um, my mentor, my teacher that for many years has helped me understand what's really happening out there in the world with money. And I couldn't think of a, of a better guy to have on as our first guest for this podcast is R. Nelson Nash. And uh, Nelson is the discoverer and developer of the infinite banking concept or IBC as you might, we might call it today and uh, the vernacular that we use. And he's the author of Becoming Your Own Banker. It's a national bestseller with over 300,000 copies sold. Nelson's written several other books and uh, his newest one, uh, A Case for IBC, is a great book too. If you haven't read that, make sure you get a copy. But the, the, the book that has had an incredible impact on my life is Becoming Your Own Banker because it lays it out just in such clear form what really is happening and as Nelson says in the book, and he says in, in a lot of his seminars, if you know what's happening, you'll know what to do. Um, he's also the co-director of the Nelson Nash Institute, which is, is committed to helping people understand what's happening with banks out there and how to become their own banker by taking over the banking function in our lives, in their lives. So Nelson spent over 60 years of studying economics and uh, Austrian economics, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And, um, you know, Nelson, welcome to the Breakaway Wealth. Uh, we're really, um, we really appreciate your time and are excited that you're here. Thanks for the opportunity. Can, can I correct a mistake back there earlier? You, absolutely. It's 400,000 plus copies. Oh, 400,000. I got bad information then, Nelson. Yeah. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, and uh, I think that I might be responsible for at least a couple thousand of those copies yeah. that I've read. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and I, and uh, we're going to give a special offer actually with the book at the end of the podcast, but they got uh, the, the listeners have to listen to the podcast to understand and get that offer. How's that? All right. Um, but uh, you know, Nelson, just to start off, I mean, uh, as I mentioned, the people that know you, know your background and, and, uh, and, and know where your heart is and where, where, how this all came about. But just tell me a little bit about your background. Born in 1931, depths of the Depression, Greene County, Georgia. Uh, I, uh, I guess when I was about two, um, following, my family moved to um, Madison County, Georgia, it's north of Athens. My father was a uh, tenant farmer for his father uh, in Madison County, Georgia, up to the time that I was, uh, say, four years old. We moved to town, Athens, Georgia, uh, at that point. Uh, I didn't know what um, electricity in a home was until I was uh, 
seven years old. I didn't know what indoor plumbing was until I was 10 years old. Uh, we were dirt poor as far as uh, financial stuff, but we were rich in uh, Christian heritage. Uh, I became a Christian when I was nine years old. So government thinking were situated everywhere. And I came face to face with a mental paralysis caused by socialism. Now, uh, Jim, I didn't know anything about socialism. Uh, I knew something inherently was wrong because of my Christian upbringing. Uh, now, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, uh, Economics 101 in undergraduate school, I made a D plus, D plus, that's Delta plus, not Bravo plus, okay? Now, I'm proud of that because I didn't have so much nonsense to wash out of my brain. That's right. But I uh, saw something was wrong because I kept running into this government thinking. And I'm mouthing off at a social gathering at the home of this radiologist about what I ran into. He says, sounds like you need to read this book. Gave me a copy of Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. Read this. Yep. All right. So in the next 10 days, I got it back in his hands. Sir, I have two questions. Where you guys been hiding this stuff? <laughs> Second question, why did you hide it from me? <laughs> he said, well, if you like what you uh, uh, read, get on this mailing list of this journal called The Freeman, put out by the Foundation for Economic Education. Well, that started it right there. The more I read, the better it got. And, uh, and it became an obsession. And so I've spent over 61 years now uh, studying Austrian economics. Now, uh, I guess we need to touch on that a little bit. There's three schools of economic uh, thought out there in the world today. The entire world is wrapped up with that fool named Maynard Keynes. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, the world is in the grip of that guy's ideas, and they can't possibly work. Now, uh, there's the Chicago School. Now, that's Milton Friedman. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody calls him a free market e economist, but uh, if you'll go read David Stockman's 719 page called The Great Devolution, uh, about two-thirds of the way through the book, you'll find out that it was Milton Friedman that convinced Nixon to come off the gold standard. Well, what happened since then? Golly. Right. Uh, he was a money terrorist. Uh, now, the, only the Austrians got it right. Uh, the Austrian school of thought started in Salamanca, Spain, back in 300 years ago. Migrated over to uh, Vienna, hence the name Austrian. And uh, the real uh, hero that came along was, was uh, uh, shucks, Ludwig von Mises. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, Mises uh, was out of step with the rest of the folks there in Austria. He started out with that stuff, but uh, he saw that something was wrong because uh, Carl Menga and Eugene Bobber work influenced him big time. And they were the ones that were early pioneers of the Austrian school. Well, 
Mises could explain away the nonsense of socialism so effectively that uh, when the Nazis were coming into uh, Vienna during the early part of World War II, he was high on their hit list, Jim. He could explain away the nonsense so effectively, but also he was Jewish and that didn't help out. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so uh, he and Margaret uh, uh, escaped with whatever they could put in the suitcases to go to Switzerland. And the last four years of his work were lost as a result. Well, they were still after him, although he was living in uh, Switzerland. And he didn't want, they didn't want to be a burden to the uh, Swiss. So uh, they made contact with Henry Hazlitt at Foundation for Economic Education, Irvington, New York. And uh, that's uh, how he came to, they came to United States. And wow. he made, they made uh, that their base of operations for the rest of their life. Now, you see, the Foundation for Economic Education got started in 1946 by Leonard E. Reed, who is my personal friend and mentor. What a fantastic experience that was. But Henry Hazlitt was one of the co-founders. But there were several other guys that were uh, sugar daddies to get all this going. But uh, I got acquainted with with those folks, you see, in 1957. So uh, that's been my background since. And so... If it hadn't been for Austrian economics, we would never be talking because my book, Build it, uh, Becoming Your Own Banker, would never have been written. Right. Well, and that's, you know, and I think that's, a, that's an important foundation to establish before we dive into the book yeah. and talk about becoming your own banker is you grew up very poor. So, you, you, know, you know, who taught you about money? Well, you learned about money not in your 200 plus credit hours in college, you learned about money after college and you learned about money from these mentors and, and books. I mean, thank God that this book was referred to you. Uh, and uh, it's a great book, by the way, if any of the listeners haven't read this book, uh, Economics in One Lesson is, is, a, is a great book. There's a couple of books that I think are kind of foundational uh, to understand Austrian economics and understand free market. Um, I think the law is a book that should be read by every, you have, I, w- I would make it a requirement to graduate from high school. Yes. Junior high. Cause yes. you, should, you should be able to read that book in a, in a couple of hours. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm being kind to, to the slower readers out there. Um, but, and that's great to understand that foundation and then when we look at your book and we tear it apart, and I, I, I can tell you that uh, I, I know that book page by page pretty much. I mean, um, and uh, there's pages I know better. But what we really have to talk about is kind of like you said, that socialism, the government control is, you know, Nelson, a really simple question. What's the problem with banks? Yeah, they're evil to the core. See, you, you really can't understand this. Uh, you, you know, uh, just in the last uh, year, so much has uh, shown up that uh, uh, now it's a very clear picture. All the uh, writings in 
so forth that we've been exposed to, uh, you and me, uh, they've shown uh, historical events that uh, covered, you know, a relatively short period of time, say 20 years or something like that. And most of the stuff is it relates to uh, our uh, monetary situation right now. Oh, they, we're talking about a very short time frame. But to really understand that, people have got to understand who uh, uh, Cecil Rhodes was. Okay. Now, Cecil Rhodes, uh, we're talking about in the 1890s and 1900s, there was this secret society that he put together uh, that included uh, him and uh, Alfred Milner. Uh, the third one is uh, Nathaniel Rothschild. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. The other two I can't remember right now, but they're all in this book called uh, Prolonging the Agony, which is... Uh, 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 a anybody, everybody needs to read this book to really understand what's going on. In the, the second book, they're prolonging the agony. The war shouldn't have lasted but six months. Right. Because all the French and the English had to do was just go destroy the uh, iron-making works uh, that usually bought, mostly bordered uh, France and Germany. But you see, that's not the object. The object is to totally destroy all of these folks and so forth. Right. All right. Well, you know, that led to World War II. And yeah. what have we had since World War II? Endless wars. Right. And you can't really understand the uh, uh, last half of the 10, 20th century unless you go study the uh, Dulles brothers. Mm -hmm. Now, there's about five books out there that cover all this sort of stuff. Now, when you understand all that, uh, you'll see how evil bankers are. Right. But you see, here's the problem. There's a little seven-minute uh, video out there called The Banker. It's a great video. You, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, here's this sophisticated fellow sitting in front of the fireplace reading Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, and he sees a passage that tickles his fancy, and he chuckles. <laughs> he flips the page. Reading on, he sees another passage. <laughs> then he realizes he has company. You. He, he lays the book down, turns and faces you. Hello, my name is Montague William III. And what I'm about to tell you, you'd think is absurd. But the less you believe it, the more we like it. Mm-hmm. Because you see, he looks left and right to make sure nobody's listening. I'm in banking. Yeah. Now he explains in the, the seven minute video, there's only a few of us. And if you understood that, you could put us out of business. Mm -hmm. All right, so IBC is about teaching how to succeed from what's going on. You know, when uh, when I first read your book, and I and in the book you say that the average American pays thirty four and a half percent of every net dollar that they earn. Yes. The first thing that I think about, because of the way that I was trained at mm -hmm. that time, is I'm not paying thirty four and a half percent interest rate. Well, of course not, but it's volume. It's, yeah. You see, people confuse rates and volume. 
uh, rates don't mean a cotton-picking thing, uh, relatively speaking. How much is the volume of things? And so what I saw was that the uh, uh, typical American public today has been made a slave by the bankers, by, you know, low interest rates and so forth. And uh, now it's uh, everything is financed. And so right. they quit saving because they said, the bank says, I'm going to take care of you. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, they took care of you all right. They made slave out of you. That's right. Well, yeah. That's so I, I, took, I, just, I just took the, uh, uh, the car buyer there and uh, typical financing packages, four years, but the, uh, 95% of the uh, cars traded in are not paid for. Uh, I know all about this. I've spent all the time researching this sort of stuff. Well, I looked at the mortgage and so forth and went through the same exercise. The typical mortgage only stays on the books five years. Mm-hmm. And then they go to another mortgage, which is usually bigger and so forth. <laughs> and that the uh, Bank of America and boat payments and stuff like that would, would rival the amount of interest paid on uh, cars. So you add them all up, it's 34.5. And I've had any number of people uh, challenge me on that. And I said, well, go do your own third grade arithmetic and, pour, and report back to me. And I've, I never had a single one that didn't say you understated the case. Right. You know, what's interesting, Nelson, is I was reviewing some notes that I had from uh, Tony Robbins' book from a few years ago called Money Master the Game. Yeah. And I don't agree with everything in his book because he talks and uh, touts a, a low uh, cost 401k, which uh, we can talk a little bit about qualified plans in a minute. But but he does. He echoes the same exact number that you came up with as 34.5% of every net dollar that Americans pay out, the average American. So the, that number is, is, like you said, it's third uh, grade arithmetic. You, you do the research and you find it out. But here's the thing that people don't realize. And one of the examples that we show people in our, with Create Tailwind, we show them in our initial uh, consultation or on our initial webinar is we show people that on a $300,000 mortgage over 30 years, you're going to pay about 48 cents of every dollar that you pay to the bank goes to the bank's benefit and 52 cents goes to your benefit. Now I like to ask people, Nelson, if you earned a dollar and you got to give me half of it, do you care what your interest rate is? And you know what some people say? They say, yeah, I care what my interest rate is. And I, and I have to say, well, wait a minute, let's go back. we got to go yeah. back. You, did, you missed something, right? And, that, that, and you point out that if we're taught to save 10% of what we earn and we're paying out 34 and a half cents to somebody else, then aren't we a slave? Now, I remember I had two African-American doctors sitting in my conference room one day with one of my associates, Jim Anderson, and I said to them that exact same thing. I said, aren't you a slave? And I thought, man, that's not going to go over very well with these two doctors. They're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But they looked at me and they said, wow. Yeah. Because it's once you see and once you understand what's happening, you'll know what to do. So now that we understand that we have this volume of interest problem, and that we have to stop doing this or we will just remain a slave for the rest of our lives. And when they put us six feet under, 
in the ground that we just look back and say we were a slave. But how do people become their own banker? What's the first step that somebody needs to do to break away from that, that system? It's a mindset. Uh, you see, it, it, these guys, the bankers, so forth, they have created a problem in people's mind and they, they've taken over their minds. Do you know who uh, Lenny Riefenstahl was? No. Uh, she was the uh, gal who uh, did the propaganda films for Hitler. Wow. Okay. She lived to be 101. She was a great gal. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there's a quotation I'm putting in this month's banknotes. She says, propaganda will always work mm -hmm. if you let it. Right. If you let it. And right. see, that's what has happened to people. They have been, they have been uh, talked into this sort of stuff by uh, evil people. See, right. uh, uh, here's my friend Walter Williams at George Mason University. I've been knowing Walter 35 years or so. A uh, great guy. Uh, he's always said half the kids in college should not be uh, in college. And so, you know, here's this mindset that everybody's got to go to college. And right. uh, it's nonsense. Yeah. Well, also, here's this goal that we got to have uh, of uh, everybody should be a homeowner. Right. Well, the definition of a homeowner uh, inside the Beltway at Washington, D.C. is you have a title to a piece of property, but you owe 1.5 times what it's worth. Right. That's homeownership. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's a deception that's out there. And those are... This is a manifestation of the secret elite that started back there in 1890. Right. People don't know what's happening to them. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, Nelson, you talk about in, in the book of, and I think sometimes people try to make it too complicated, <laughs> but you, there's, there's, there's a page in the book that somewhere between page 50, I think it would be maybe page 55, it, huh? or 56, it just says, he decides to use his money pool instead of someone else's. Now that's a that's that's a, that's all that's on the page, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that message, you know, how does somebody like talk about that that money pool, the money pool that the bank controls versus the money pool you could control? All right, say that again because I'm chasing a thought there. Okay, I'm sorry. So the uh, just talk a little bit about that the simplicity of that. Oh, okay, is, all right, you know, yeah. You're using this was um, this was your family member using somebody else's money pool, spending you know a lot of money per month, yeah. and he just decided one decision. He made one decision in his life that changed everything. He decided to use his money pool instead of the bank's. Yeah, well, uh, I guess a, a better way to arrive at the, what you wanted to get to talk about. Uh, I had a client uh, years ago uh, who worked for the telephone company, and his name was Ted Williams, of all things. Wow. <laughs> he, he didn't play baseball and so forth. Mm -hmm. But along comes the high interest rates and so forth, and uh, he says uh, he discovered that uh, he could get uh, enough money to buy a car uh, at 6% interest on his policy, uh, by policy loan. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the heck of it is the mindset that prevailed out there. He never paid the dang loan back. Mm. Uh, he didn't realize that if you're going to be a banker, uh, you should be your biggest. You should be your biggest customer, and if you're going to be a banker, uh, don't lend money to a fool. Right. <laughs> you got to pay it back to yourself. Yep. Now, when you do, uh, life changes radically. And see, uh, uh, I made all kind of mistakes as the time went by, of course. Uh, look, when I first uh, saw this concept, uh, I thought the smartest thing to do was to go to the uh, very top of equitable life. I had contact with the number one man on a very favorable basis. Uh, let me uh, teach this to them and uh, we, we'll change the world. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, look, uh, home offices of life insurance companies uh, or companies, period, are just eaten up with Harvard MBAs. Yeah. And uh, when you talk about Harvard MBAs, you're talking about manifestation of the secret elite. Yeah. When you talk about Yale, you're talking about secret elite. Yeah. Just look at all those guys that go into the seek to uh, to uh, CIA, so forth. You should get a clue from that, so forth. Mm-hmm. But uh, you see, uh, here's all these things that they offer. We got to be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. See, for instance, uh, Equitable Life years ago, that was the third largest life insurance company when I got into life insurance business in 1964. Now, they were the ones who invented group life. Mm-hmm. That should never have happened. Right. That gave people a, a, a false impression of a, they were a security blanket of some sort. And Odds are no one would ever, you would ever pay off so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you got out there to the point where you really needed that sort of thing, uh, it had disappeared and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they were the ones who invented variable life. Mm-hmm. And that was a brainchild of John Carter that I knew very, very well. Uh, you got to have, you got to buy a term and invest the difference in a mutual fund and so forth. Mm-hmm. Those things should never have happened. Right. Now, they were the first ones to demutualize, okay? Right. Now, that's a company that started in 1859. Uh, wow. Yeah. Now, uh, they all started out as stock companies, but they very quickly became a mutual company. And then along comes John Carter, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they demutualized, and because of uh, their uh, Harvard MBA thinking, uh, AXA had to buy them out. Right. Yeah, yeah. well, you see. I, but I spent five years trying to get this to cross to uh, them, mm-hmm. and I saw they were totally unteachable. Right. And then I said to myself, now, Nelly, uh, here you are criticizing those folks, and apparently you don't do much thinking either. I should have learned this in academia, particularly forestry school, because Jim, a $50 million addition to a paper mill is nothing. Right. To produce a product that you blow your nose on and throw in the trash can. Mm-hmm. I said, now think, it's all OPM, other people's money. Yeah. 
I said, now, look, uh, the dean over the Forrester School at that time, you were in the first class he taught back in, eight, in 1948, uh, 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 49, 49. Mm -hmm. uh, call him. You get an interview based on that relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, strap that airplane on your back. Go in there and spend the day with him. Uh, run this by him. If he rises the occasion, then let's establish a chair. They would teach this. Mm. And then I was prepared to go out and find the money to fund the chair. Right. But all he was interested in, how much are you going to give the alumni society this year? I'm retiring next year. Right, right. Nevertheless, being the persistent fool that I am, I spent two years more trying to figure out how can I get this taught there. Mm -hmm. And I finally found out that if I'd give them a quarter million dollars, they let me teach this. Wow. Jim, they should have been giving me a quarter million dollars to teach this. Yeah. Now, what I found out out of that seven years activity, mental paralysis in home offices or corporations is legendary. Mm -hmm. But in uh, academia, it is worse. Right. But yet people spend enormous amounts of money spending, uh, sending their kids to college to get that kind of indoctrination. I didn't say education. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because, you know, we don't learn about money in, in, in school. No. Right? We don't learn about money from our parents because like, like you and like me, our parents didn't have any money. So how did they know about money and how did they know how to accumulate money? but you want to keep people ignorant so that you can control them yes. about money. And that's where the elite comes in. Yes. And when we sit there and tell people and we educate people every single day on how money really works and how money flows, because as you point out in your seminar that now is only available on DVD, but back in the day when you would travel the United States about 50 times or more a year, a year sharing this information, right? How many times? And Canada. And Canada. Yeah, we can't forget our friends in Canada. Thank you. Uh, sorry about that, Jason. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but what is that you would talk about how money flows. Now, we're not ta taught to have money flowing. But as you so eloquently point out, um, movement is a law of God. If, if air doesn't move in and out of our bodies or flow through our bodies, excuse me, or blood doesn't flow through our bodies, we die. Yes. Water doesn't flow, it becomes stagnant. And if money doesn't flow, what happens, Nelson? Well, it just sits there. It's absolutely worthless. Unless it, it's at work out there, it's, it's worthless. But you see, what people don't understand is when you put in money into life insurance that's been around for a couple of hundred years, good Lord, uh, life insurance companies cannot possibly inflate the money supply. Right. Only banks can can increase the money can uh, inflate the money supply. So why in the world you don't do business with those folks? Yeah, you don't. And the thing that I think people don't realize is that when you have money in an, in in the in the right type of life insurance contract, and this is not your you know, your uncle's uh, life insurance contract based on death benefit. This is the same goals and the types of insurance to, to create cash and to have a bigger, bigger money pool. 
then what most people don't realize, including most insurance agents, is that when you take a loan from that insurance contract to go do something with it, either save interest or earn money, is your money doesn't go anywhere. No. Your money stays there and grows uninterrupted. Sure. And as our friend Carlos Laura likes to talk about uninterrupted compounding in his presentation in your seminar. Yeah. It is, it's amazing. Now, Darren Hardy, he wrote a book called The Compound Effect. And he's talking about how little things add up to big results. And he uses an example that I'm sure that you've seen and that you've looked at is you take a penny and you double that penny every single day. Yeah. And then at the end of 31 days, you have $10,737,000 and some change. Now, if you take some of that money out along the way, the effects of that are brutal to your balance. And I'm not going to give away some of the numbers, but if somebody wants to see that, that example, you can look in Darren Hardy's book, but, he, but also we do that example in our initial a webinar with somebody to show them how to become their own banker because you know really um that key of knowing and understanding what's happening and again i like i love that quote if you know what's happening you'll know what to do yes but one of the things that you think of is that you have to think you've said mindset you have this is a participatory sport yes. this is not giving edward jones your money and hope that the guy's gonna, the, the, the man or woman, when I say guy, I mean man or woman, that that representative is gonna grow your money. Now he's gonna get paid or she's gonna get paid no matter what, right? But that's a non-participatory sport. Yeah. Infinite banking is a participatory sport. I mean, you know, you, you, you talk about in the book and I've heard this story is the, one of the reasons that you discovered this is because of the interest in the situation that you were in in the high interest rate environment. Maybe you never do, I mean, you probably do, but maybe you never do discover this if you were paying three or 4% interest on your loans. Oh, that's a possibility, but uh, there's much more to it than that. Uh, you know, again, uh, most all of this reasoning comes from uh, Austrian background of uh, economics. Uh, is the truth. Now, certain things come along that do influence people. For instance, uh, you know, I'm a forester by education, and uh, that's real estate, and I've been around real estate all my life. Uh, now, I indulged. Now, uh, I made uh, several uh, forest property investments uh, and used OPM, mm. uh, and some of it was astounding. Uh, we don't have time to go into that as to uh, uh, how effective the OPM thing was and so forth. But, you know, that led to development real estate, and that's where all hell broke loose. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see, uh, back in the uh, late uh, mm, 50s, or 60s rather, yeah, 60s, 70s, 70s, Interest rates was of on ninety day loans was eight uh, percent. Mm -hmm. That was prime. But uh, you know, in all my visiting with people, I never have found anybody that wasn't that was prime. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I met I met one guy who thought who said he was, but I think 
he was just listening to the gopher that was lending him money. <laughs> but uh, so I got used to paying nine and a half percent interest on 90 day loans for real estate purposes. Well, I made money at it, as I told you, but then I got into development. Well, look, uh, along comes uh, 80 and 81, and Prime peaked at 21.5. Well, we backed the third grade arithmetic, add a point and a half to it, we've got about 23% interest. Right. Well, uh, one little uh, card can fall in a house of cards out there, and uh, you're in deep, deep trouble. And uh, uh, anyway, I got caught in the real estate uh, development owing a half million bucks. Well, I also was using partnerships because I always felt that it was uh, uh, safer that way, coupled with the fact that, Jim, if you don't have somebody to share things with, you really don't have much, golly. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, several of these were real good friends. But anyway, here was this uh, development project that it was the most beautiful thing you ever seen in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a big time lawyer uh, here in uh, Birmingham, one of the principal firms. He owned 35% of our uh, partnership. Well, uh, he bankrupted on us. Wow. Jim, we had to cough up to buy uh, Stanford, you know, personal guarantees. Right. Our, my share was 300000 Mm. Well, that's 800000 at at uh, 23% interest, isn't it? Right. Well, that's attention getting when you were just a couple of years earlier expecting 9.5% interest. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, so uh, I could get the money at 5 6 and 8% interest uh, from three different life insurance companies, but I discovered that I had not paid anywhere near the amount of money that I needed to, to be able to get those so-and-sos out of my life. Yeah. But it was substantial compared to what everybody else does. It was, I was kind of weird compared to everybody else, we put it that way. But, yeah, what, oh, but, what, but what I saw is that I had to uh, analyze where was I uh, spending money? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I found some uh, cash flow that, okay, we all think that we're doing the best job in the world because nobody does a better job than you and me, right? Right. Yeah. But when we get real honest, we found that we aren't as good as we thought we were. Right. Now, when I started teaching this concept, I tripled my income, and that helped a lot a little bit too. <laughs> and so I started adding life insurance policies as uh, fast as I could figure out how to do it. And uh, I borrowed from the policies to pay off the banks. Yep. Now, uh, uh, I had partners, I told you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one partner that uh, he and I bought a piece of property together, and I bought uh, a life insurance on him. He didn't see fit to buy life insurance on me, but that's all right. Anyway, uh, uh, five years later, we sold the property. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that was the end of the partnership, but once a 
policies in force, they can't take it away from you, can you? That's right. All right. Now, he died on me at age 50, sitting in the doctor's waiting room, waiting to see him. Mm. Out of a heart attack. Uh, Three-pack-a-day man, 300-plus cholesterol. He didn't believe all those numbers, but he died anyway. So mm. Now, during the time I owned that policy, I uh, paid into it uh, uh, $47,000 of premium. Mm-hmm. But I had borrowed out forty-eight thousand because it had grown in value. Mm-hmm. Now I still had uh, about four or five thousand dollars extra that was there. But when he died, tell me what happened to all that debt? It went away. And the two hundred seven thousand dollars left over, tax-free, canceled out of all the mistakes I made in life. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had uh, two smaller policies on my, one of my ex-partners in uh, the life insurance business, and uh, a few years later, he died on me. Mm. Now, you see, uh, those uh, two death claims there canceled all that 300000 that the, I had to stand for with the, with the banker, <laughs> or with right. the, a lawyer, rather, so forth. Now, it took me 13 years to pay off those so-and-sos. Mm-hmm. Now, I've run a genealogy check on those folks, and I found there's canine ancestry in their lineage, okay? They're not very nice people, okay? Right. Now, once I paid off the policy loans, then I took what I was paying to to those uh, folks, and I paid off – once I paid off the banks, rather – now I took what I was paying the banks and I paid off policy loans. Now it startled me how fast I paid off the policy loans. Right. Yep. Because you see, an account that's building, compounding continuously, mm. is much more efficient than an account coming down. Right. Yep. And so uh, anyway, uh, the bottom line is that. Uh, Mary and I have not seen a bank in over 30 years. Mm. Now, that includes also uh, other family members. Right. All the money, all the money left, never left our community. That's right. Right. And when you finance things, and I think that you told me one time, Nelson, at at one point in time, you had 45 or 48 policies. No, 49. 49. Okay. My, my number was close and you uh, have given some of those away, but you know, when, when I first looked at this being in the financial services world and some of the the concepts, it was really hard for me to change my paradigm because I had been entrenched in this lie of financial planning uh, being the solution for all of my clients. And um, and, and I remember thinking to myself, I think my first policy was 25000 then I did 100000 and when people look at the amount of premiums that I'm putting through insurance contracts now, that some people think, oh my gosh, what is Jim thinking? But here's the thing, is every time that I go and I look at my cash values, and I have money loaned out to different loans, and all this money is flowing back to me, sure that my cash values, I have to, I have to, I'm, I'm shocked that every time I look at them that they're higher than I thought that they were going to be. Yeah. Now think, think about that. How many accounts out there 
in Wall Street do you look at, including your 401k or IRA, and you look at it and go, huh, there's more money in there than I thought there was going to be. Nelson, that never happens, does it? No, of course not. Yeah. Well, you know, Nelson, if somebody, obviously the first step for somebody to learn how to do this would be to, to uh, read your book. Would that be a good place to start? Well, it's the only place to start. That's right. You lay the foundation. And then, you know, when you were in college, Nelson, they would, they would ask you to do some reading, right? The, some homework and you, hey, go read this chapter of this, these chapters. And then what did they do after that? They did, what do you- they did, they did a, a lecture, right? They did a review. Oh, oh yeah, right. Right, right. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's where at Create Tailwind, we do those reviews of oh. that people. And yeah. then people understand how they can implement the sure. infinite banking concept. Now, at Breakaway Wealth, we talk about first you have to establish the money pool, which is the infinite banking yeah. concept. Yeah. All of the uses – now, I know out of the years that I've been doing this and the pe- people that I've seen, that the amazing use, uses for people. Now, you take very basic and say, we all buy cars, so let's just use, let me give you an example of buying cars. But what are some of the things that you've seen people use infinite banking for over the years that is kind of some of the more creative things or some of the things that you've thought are pretty uh, incredible? Well, uh, let's put it this way. I'm a very patient fellow. Mm-hmm. Now, if Mary were here and heard me say that in front of you, she would giggle. <laughs> yeah. she, doesn't, she doesn't think I'm patient. But uh, there was this big name a lawyer that uh, I was trying to teach this to. Uh, and uh, he thought that I was using smoke and mirrors or something like that. That was the phrase he used and such. And uh, I spent three years trying to teach him this. Now, that's patience or stupidity, one or the other on my part. Mm-hmm. But uh, I finally gave up uh, on him. And I never talked to him about uh, banking through life insurance anymore, but I did finance his airplane. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's yeah, I mean, the, the things that I've seen my clients use infinite banking for, and we work with a lot of business owners, not, we work with a lot of individuals too, but we work with a lot of business owners and business owners have certain challenges that infinite banking can handle completely. And in in your new book, you really focus on the business owner in the beginning of the book and how they use this system to finance the things that are needed for their business. But Regardless of whether you're a business owner or a W-2 employee, everyone in the United States, every single person in the United States should take back control of the banking system in their lives. Sure, that's it. That's why I went back there. When we started all this off back there, you got to understand what is really happening out there. That most all the books that you see out there are talking about a very short time frame and kind of a... Uh, Taking an aspirin, I say you might say, <laughs> for, for right. temporary headache, whatever. But you got to find out what caused all these things. And right. uh, that's what's happened is that people have had their brains totally saturated by the banking business to make a slave out of you. And it didn't have to be that way at all. 
Right. You got you got to succeed. Let's just go back to Lenny Riefenstahl. She says propaganda works every time if you let it. And if you don't think, right? If you let sure. it, things that will permeate your mind. If you don't think, is that right or is that wrong? Let me do my research. Let me prove to myself if this is right or wrong. And you know, one of the things that when I first started learning about this concept from you, going through your seminars, and I've got uh, I've got it on DVD here too. You know, so uh, when because I, I if I miss something, I go back and I find it and I listen to it. And, uh, you know, going back to the basics, Tom Hopkins says a champion goes back to the basics at least once a year. At least once a year, I read every one of these books and I watch these videos to go back to the basics on how do we establish the money pool. Regardless, if you want to be in the real estate business, you want to buy businesses, you want to do all any of these things, you have to start with the foundation, which is the money pool. And so, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that we want to do, I, you know, when, when you think, Nelson, of, and maybe you've already answered this, but just, uh, you know, just uh, in a few words, when you think in your life, what was the one thing that happened to you? And maybe it was uh, somebody handing you that book way back when, but what was the one thing that happened to you that helped you break away from the herd and the herd thinking? Well, that goes right back to uh, my uh, Christian upbringing. Uh, like I say, I, uh, made my uh, profession of faith when I was nine years old, but by the time I was a teenager, uh, I had figured out that I could change the world right. by changing the way I look at things. Yeah, it's all about Attit- how you think. Attitude is the most important word in the English language. Right. Now, Christians say, uh, uh, no, Jesus Christ is the most important, but no, it's your attitude to How do you look at him? That's right. the problem. Right. He, Jesus Christ doesn't have the problem. You've got the problem right. by, by your attitude. Well, if you change your attitude, it's an entirely different world. Well, he didn't change. You changed. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you changed because you listened to the noise of the world. Yes. Well, yeah, to- that's, that's just it. You see, that's why I started here. You've got to recognize what evil looks like. Yeah. And I showed, I've illustrated what evil looks like. And uh, look, uh, uh, go to my reading list and uh, on my website, and uh, that's about 130 books that are history books. Right. And there's only about 105, 110 books on economics. Now, that ought to tell you something, that history is extremely important. Uh, And you cannot study economics without studying history. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I think that's in uh, Nelson's website is infinitebanking.org. And if you go on there, he's got a great reading list. And um, that's a great place to start educating yourself. And just remember that infinite banking and breaking away and having cash flow, becoming financially independent versus a slave that wants retirement because a slave wants to be taken out of service, which is what retirement means. We wanna be financially independent regardless of our age, and we wanna do things that we're passionate about, which is showing people how to create cash flow. You have to start here. You have to start with infinite banking. So how do you learn about infinite banking? Well, you have to start with the book, right? And you go back to the Bible, every principle that you read in this book 
is nothing conflicts with the Bible. It is exactly yeah. what it's, it's all biblical. True. You Absolutely. see, uh, I uh, passed out at the last think tank section. You were there, weren't you? I was. Okay. You know, uh, uh, my presentation consisted of uh, three articles there. The uh, first article was something that I wrote regarding my Christian experience. The next uh, article was just only two pages long. But that two pages, the most profound two pages I've ever read in my life by Paul Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. And it's entitled Fish of the Last and Notice the Water. Right. Well, right. The, the water is their environment. Right. And you've you got to understand what your environment is out there. And you've got to understand what evil looks like. If you can't, if you can't recognize evil, evil is going to get you every time and you don't even know it. Right. Now, by the way, evil is sneaky. Satan is sneaky. Yes. Like in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden, he was like, hey, I'm Satan. What he did is he snuck up on them, sure. just like evil sneaks up on you today. And it happens with our money. And in, you know, what I like in, in is, is one of the quotes that I love is that, uh, I, you know, when, when people say, does money give you happiness? Well, no, but money gives you choices and choices give you freedom. Freedom gives you happiness, right? To be free, to be whatever you want to be. But this is a participatory sport. It starts with reading the book. And one of the things is, is that uh, we're going to uh, give to anyone that comes on our website, createtailwind.com, all one word, createtailwind.com. If they go in and they register to have a webinar, we're going to show you some very basic things about infinite banking. And then if, if you'll register and listen to that webinar, we're going to send you Nelson's book for free. Now, um, as our gift, because we believe that if just like somebody gave Nelson a book back in the 1950s, that Nelson read the book, if he ignored the book, then we might not be sitting here talking, right? But you, you read this book and it started you on your path. And we want to start everyone listening to this podcast on their path. And, and there, there are, there are uh, I've read, I, I think, just about every book on this subject in the, in the, in out, that's out there. The good ones, the bad ones. There's not one book that comes anywhere close to explaining this concept as well as this book. It is the book to start with and, um, is, and it's, it's, it's where the journey starts. So, Nelson, other than this book, What's the one book that you've given away most often in your life? <laughs> uh, Richest Man in Babylon. That's, that's a great book, too. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, back I back when, I was, when I was first getting started in the life insurance business, uh, I guess I gave away over 1,000 copies of that thing. Did you really? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that strikes me in that book is – you know, I try to take books and I try to break them down into just like one or two or, you know, lessons is the, 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 the gentlemen that were in the book, one guy did things differently than everybody else. Sure. And yeah. he got different results. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah. He broke away from the herd. Yes. Right. 
And that's how we break away. Um, Nelson, I've taken more time than, than you've, uh, than you were so graciously uh, uh, that you've uh, given us. And I really appreciate it because I think, you know, and the audience can probably tell is you and I could sit here and talk about infinite banking all day long and Austrian economics and, and the Bible. And uh, one of my fondest memories of hanging out with Nelson was sitting on my couch and he gave uh, my wife and me and my, uh, I guess she was probably about five or six at the time and my probably 15 year old at the time, a 45 minute Bible lesson that, uh, uh, that I'll remember forever. And uh, uh, my wife loves Nelson, I love Nelson and our family, he's, he's just made a tremendous change and impacted our family. And it started with this book before we even knew Nelson. So that's how important this book is for everyone out there to read this book and understand these concepts. Nelson, anything to add before we wrap it up? Another thing we can't live without is light. That's right. I like that. That's All right. right. Well, uh, look, uh, God is the source of light. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. No man cometh to the Father except by me. Yep. Now, men have the stupid idea that they think they're the source of light, like Richard, like Cecil Rhodes, et cetera. Yeah. All men can possibly do is reflect uh, God's light, and that's what I've been trying to do. That is all. It's not me. Right, right. It's not me. Yeah. You're just passing on God's wisdom that God blessed you with to share with other people, and you've done a great job of that over a lot of years and, and made huge impacts. And I really, you talk about the compound effect that Darren Hardy talks about. So Nelson Nash, who wants to share, that God chose to share this message through, has shared it with people like me and our firm, like Create Tailwind. And um, then we share it with our clients that share it with their friends. And, and uh, uh, the momentum is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. So um, Nelson, with that, I thank you very much again. And I look forward to the next time that we're together in person and uh, I value your friendship and your mentorship and uh, uh, thank you for coming on. Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.